And welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name's Eddie, and I assure you we're going to get to the conversation I had with Josh really soon. I just, really quick preface here to the conversation I had. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral, I just, one of my passions over the last six, seven, eight months has been the shift in our culture, the obsession with our cell phones and Instagram. And I'm not going to get into it too much today at all, but I really think it's important to have conversations and hear artists' stories about what inspires them, the process of songwriting, the process of writing a book, what people do to connect with themselves. And that's one of the focuses of my podcast, to have conversations with, with people that I think are really interesting that have a story to tell, that have something to share. And I met Josh a while ago. He's in one of my favorite bands. And I wanted to have him on the show. I wanted to talk to him about other lives and the process that they go through when it comes to songwriting. I think the other thing is, is that the process of writing can be a really intimate process and experience. It can be different for everybody. And I think these stories, unfortunately, aren't being told as much anymore. Uh, I think cell phones and apps and Instagram and Facebook, I just think that kind of stuff is taking over people's lives. And I think it's important to bring the art of conversation back into our life. So really stoked about the conversation I had with Josh, so I hope you dig it as well. We're going to get to it just really quickly. If you dig the show... You know, let people know. I've got, I've had interviews with with DJs from KCRW. I've had yoga teachers on the show. I've had minimalists. I've had other artists and musicians. There's some freaking great conversations that are happening on the show. So check it out if you dig it. Share the podcast with other people. Write a review on iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Oh, I am DJing at the Above 60 Hotel in Beverly Hills this summer. My first gig there is June 22nd. So please check it out. I uh, would love to have you there. And that's it. Just really quick housekeeping this week. Just want to get to the interview that I had with Josh. All the music, by the way, on this this episode, you know, normally I, I'll throw in music or I'll write some music for the show. Everything you're hearing this week on this, rather on this episode, is from Josh's band Other Lives or his, uh, or his other band New Mystic. So hope you dig the music. Apparently they have a record coming out later this year or early next year, but obviously we'll talk about it during the conversation. So as always, thank you so much for listening. It's, it's an honor. It's freaking awesome to be able to talk to you because um, I'm a musician, a singer, and I remember, by the way, Josh Onstott has joined me in the, in the podcast this week, so I, I'm going to probably thank you and talk about how awesome you are for the next like couple hours, but um, you're in one of my favorite bands. Other lives. I'm, I'm hoping other lives is, is like still happening. Yeah, we just finished a record. Okay, so when's it coming out? 
That's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, but uh, but I it's done. We're fine. We're we're fine tuning, touching up. Thank you, by the way. I appreciate. Oh that. yeah. Um, but yeah, we're 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 in the final stage. What do you mean final stage? Well, our process is. Um, it takes time. That's usually why we we release. You know, every three four years yeah well now we're going on like four years of record let's be honest right but um but there's the process it just takes a little longer and i think everybody's sort of we stay true to that process we're, we don't get in a hurry with you know how fast things move these oh yeah days and yeah how everybody just takes just take it and move on to the next thing I think when it comes to to our creative process, and I won't speak for the guys, I'm going to speak for myself. Sure. That I think it. I think, I think you sort of need the time to to spend inside of something. You know, whether it's thirty songs or whatever it is, you have to spend enough time um, to where you're comfortable. And then you go through all those phases of like, oh, I'm comfortable. I feel like maybe these are the tunes for the album or the album sort of presents itself. And then and then you hate it. Yeah. And then you come back to it and then you say, you know, well, maybe it's good. I don't know. Well, you know, obviously <laughs> we've become it's become all about the singles. Yeah. So why have you guys thought about doing that? I, I love the fact that you, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge believer in a full record. And, you know, Khalid now is literally like putting out a single, like it feels like every month. Yeah. And he's, and he finally put out a record. But have you, did you guys ever think about doing that over the last few years or? Well, our process is kind of like journaling. You just journal, 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 and then you, you refine yeah you peel it back i don't think it i don't think it's like hey let's sit down and write a single <laughs> right I, even though that work i this this record is more of a song record i would okay. say but I, I don't we're not thinking like this is you know are we gonna put out a single um i think the word single makes everybody insecure <laughs> yeah to the point where you know i think at one time somebody said something about can we just say marketing tools yeah exactly <laughs> what are we gonna can we just say like whatever is the most easy listening song it's not gonna sonically exhaust someone right because that's a thing too but i can tell you that now we're looking at the length of the album what do you mean? So instead of releasing like 50 minutes of music or right. whatever, I think we're into the idea of like doing like 34 minutes or something. Okay. But yeah. That's not done, but I think right. I think it's kind of like when you sit and you listen back to an album, you know, you go, okay, is that too much? Right. Well, because we're now, it's interesting, you know, the culture is shifting and, and it's people don't sit still no and actually like put on headphones and listen to a full record so to ask somebody to sit down for 45 minutes to an hour to digest a record i think is a lot to ask of people now it's it's too much yeah it's way too much yeah unless you're i don't even know what you on a flight maybe <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> fly yeah for right. a long road trip yeah I don't know. Well, I remember, I will backtrack. 
we're probably going to go all over the place, but yeah. when did, um, suddenly I'm forgetting the name of the record. Oh, it was just self-titled. Okay. It was just self-titled other lives. Mm-hmm. So I remember I, I had not started recording my third album yet. And I turned on the radio. I was listening to KCRW living in LA and don't let them comes on. Wow, dude, you were like old school. Oh yeah, you found you were on the first album. Oh yeah, most I, people think the first album's Tamer Animals. Tamer Animals. Yeah. yeah, they're like, how about that first record? Well, so um, I, I mean, I loved that album, the first one. Oh man, thank you. Like wow. So I want to play. This is off the first record from Other Lives, and it's called Don't Let Them. Yeah. 
thinking a lot of things. I'm almost crying right now because, first of all, that song is so relevant to today. You know, I remember when that album came out, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for my next record. And I ended up going to South by Southwest that year. And I only had a couple shows. And I remember like looking at I remember looking at the South by Southwest calendar or like the schedule of artists <clears throat> and you guys were on it. I was like fucking A. And so I remember going to see you guys at Cedar Street Courtyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't busy. There was like maybe 20 people there. It was like a two o'clock gig or three o'clock gig. So hot. I was literally bawling. I was Uh like, I I swear to God. And I I came up to you. I don't remember. I came up to you sort of that sidebar and introduced myself. And I was like, fucking A, your record is so amazing, so inspiring. And it literally, you know, to me, I think of Sea Change because, you know, Beck created this amazing album with strings and and you know it's like a singer songwriter band but then adds the strings and i felt the same similar sort of elements same engineer no way yeah dude holy shit (laughs) daryl thorpe daryl thorpe wow my mind on to win like six grammys now but really yeah yeah yeah. so like tell me i mean there's so much i want to ask and enough about me but i just this song was bringing me back to like those days it was such an inspiring record and i fucking loved it and it's so awesome you're here just as you're listening to it when did that like what are you thinking now and i'm sure that song came out like eight years ago nine years ago yeah i haven't i haven't really listened to that record in a long time you know (laughs) you kind of put them to bed when they're yeah they've had their way with you um, but that record will, will, will always be really dear to me. I mean, all of them, but that, that one, because, um, because it was kind of where we stepped out into the world. Yeah. Um, and we had to put something out and not to say like the world, like not, not that many people know about us, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is like, for us, it was us, we traveled to Los Angeles and, you're going to record a record and we had uh you know an opportunity to actually have a real release at the time and so you didn't record that record in oklahoma no so how did you guys so you obviously found you're from oklahoma how did you guys like what happened in oklahoma where then you guys got the opportunity to go to la to make the record so uh so we're i'm hanging at how we were a band called kunik Okay. Before this happened, and okay, we did a record called "Fly to the Flins," which is um, now on Spotify. I think it, as of like a month ago. I'm and have to check it out. Yeah, we were we were a five piece uh, band, six piece at the time. We didn't do anything but play music, <laughs> right? Like everybody dropped out of school. We were at college at Oklahoma State. Well, except Jonathan. I think Jonathan finished his his math degree. Right. And he's the youngest. Okay. Um, But the rest of us, we were like, could not stop playing music together. We would wake up at 8 a.m. Yeah. um, And we had this little country house that had three different homes, but um, three different houses we sort of moved in and out of. But every... Every house had a studio inside of it. So okay. we would record. I met Jesse, and Jesse was playing music with Jenny and Colby already, and they were doing like some instrumental trilogy. Okay. 
That was, and Jesse's the singer. Yeah, Jesse's the singer. Right. Jenny was the cellist. Right. Colby was the drummer. And they, I heard this music and I, for the first time, and I thought, whoa, how do, how can I be a part of this? Yeah. You know, and they were like, well, do you play bass? I'd never played bass in my life. But you said yes, hopefully. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went over Christmas break and learned how to play bass. Of course. So that happened. We played some shows, Kunick. We released an album. Um, and then John Mayer came along and said, like, I really love this song Section 2 off the Kunick record. How did he hear it? I have no idea. Okay. All of a sudden on Facebook, you see like John Mayer says, hey, help me find Kunick or something. Because yeah. we were nowhere to be found. We're just some band in the woods. You <laughs> right. Know? <laughs> Who doesn't really care about, you know, we were, we, we didn't, Jesse was terrified to release an album at that time. We yeah. were just kind of like, okay, whatever. We were all just kind of like, we're going to just... No, no shows. Let's just play music. Yeah, but that's because that's you know that's fun. There's no, yeah. there's no. It's just like it's just creative, and you're just involved in the process of making you music. And there's yeah. nothing better than that. Yeah, nothing better. Yeah, nothing better. So that that was when we were at our purest state. Yeah. And what a beautiful time, <laughs> right? Um, and then. Fucking John Mayer, he like yeah. fucked it John, up. We always say, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we always say if John Mayer didn't didn't do that, no one would who know who we are. Yeah, you know? and then that happened, and then John Mayer invited us to this big arena show he was doing, and we wow. went to meet him, and then he sang Section Two, the song like a cappella in front of, you know like in front of us and i was like whoa this is a trip yeah and i wasn't a huge fan of john mayer at the time yeah you know, we were into like godspeed you black emperor and cigarettes <laughs> and you know those types sure. of bands yeah and um so that happened and then nothing really came you know for about six months and then we got an email from a guy who worked in the industry out here um and he, it said underneath his signature, what management company he worked for. And it said like Beastie Boys back right. and all this. And we were like, okay. Um, <laughs> he might actually be somebody to respond to. Maybe we shouldn't respond to this. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but we did. We responded to it. And then he came out and watched us play. In Oklahoma. And, yeah, in Oklahoma. Um and then we did a show at South by and then there were some people that came together now the but the record hadn't this the, the self-titled record hadn't come out no okay so I obviously didn't see you on that tour because I know the record okay no this these were just Kunick shows okay got it yeah this so is we were discovered as Kunick okay and then the music was so different and then we lost a member um, and the music was so different that we just decided to call it Other Lives. We just changed the name. We came to LA to record it, and then that's Don't Let Them, that's the self-titled album. That's right. how that happened, okay. so to speak. I mean, I'm skipping some things, but for yeah, the but most just, part. But one thing, who ultimately convinced you guys, or you didn't, you didn't have a, you weren't signed at this point. No, we weren't signed. But who got, uh, who got you to get up, who made you just make the decision or inspired you to come out to LA to make the record? 
uh, our manager. Okay, so you did have a manager at the time. He well, he really wasn't our manager. He was the best dude. He he just was wasn't pushy. He was you know it was very, <laughs> very like kind. Okay, and, and very uh, I mean, it, it wasn't. We felt like we could trust him. Okay, which is something that's kind of rare. Yeah, you know, after going off and doing other things, you know, it's like. You realize it's a rarity, and he's family, and that's why we've been with him since. The he's the start. same guy. Is he like the super tall guy, the bald Phil, guy? Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. he's so you guys are still with him because yeah. I see him like running around at all the shows that yeah. I go to. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's We've been with Phil for for ten years or wow. maybe even longer, and Phil. Um, well, he obviously looked out for our best interest. He obviously knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's he's he's. He has a, his great ears. Yeah. And his roster, you know, he has good at, he has, he manages great bands. So. No, was he the guy that sent that email? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that was Phil. Wow. That's amazing. No, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to name drop him, but yeah, but yeah, he, yeah. he did it. He, he, he was the guy who came out and, and just found us. Wow. And then... Well, that's, you know, it's, the only reason I'm so in awe right now is we've, you know, I don't want to get into it yet or social media and stuff, but we have become sort of a culture now where everybody's using social media as much to sort of like propel their career or get noticed. Yeah, algorithms. Yeah. And here's like a real sort of organic thing where a guy finds out about you and who knows whether it was from John Mayer, it doesn't matter. Somehow he got a hold of this music and yeah. he obviously heard something and he reaches out to you and, and like that to me is sort of this or similarly to making a record, it's sort of it's so organic. The the process of getting music heard back then. Yeah, I mean he was like, hey, let me know next time you're in LA. Yeah. And we were like, uh sir, we don't tour. <laughs> We don't even have a van. Yeah. You know, we were, we're not coming to LA anytime soon. Right. So it was that, but he came to us. So the record's done, and then, obviously, how the hell did I hear it on KCRW? And, and Phil, you know, he he works for a, a management company that, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't. I, I guess he got it into the right hands, and yeah, and, you know, they they they've been phenomenal supporters. KCRW is, you know, I can't thank them enough. Yeah. Over and over again, and they sort of or the model for, um, you know, public radio. Definitely. Yeah. Especially when it comes to music and news and all of those things. Um, but yeah, Phil, Phil, 
was very, I guess, instrumental in that. I, I, we, he keeps all this stuff away from us. We don't even <laughs> just, have to do it. Yeah, which is probably good. <laughs> he doesn't. Even, he'll just tell it results. It's all. He, yeah. He'll either get them or not, and we're like, whoa. The skyline spans across farther than y'all. Did that that first album? Did you guys start touring? Yeah, After? we did. We toured with with Delta Spirit. Okay. Um, we toured with Dawes. The first oh, the yeah, first the tour Dawes. we ever went on was the bill was Dawes first, Other Lives second, and Delta Spirit third. And it was it was Dawes's first tour, and it was Other Lives first tour. Yeah. And we were making pennies. Sleeping on floors, sharing rooms. Yeah, nothing and we did glamorous a going on. Crazy tour, like thirty shows in thirty-three days in February. Yeah, freezing. It was. Everybody got sick. It was. It was. But it was fun. Well, well, it's we talked before we started recording. We started talking about Europe and traveling, and I mentioned that I had my first panic attack when I went to Europe the first time. Mm-hmm. So what? It, but it's interesting, like you're saying it was cold, you're sleeping on floors. So in, in my mind, I'm thinking, God, that's terrible. <laughs> but then you're also saying it was fucking fun and great. So what what was that whole thing from Oklahoma then traveling? It was a U.S. tour, I imagine. Yeah, it was U.S. So what was that? I mean, do you remember what, yeah, what you were going through? I remember. I think it's really important for bands to play together. Yeah, And I think... Staying on the road, being fortunate enough to have gigs and um, tour, it, it turned us into a, a live band. Yeah, we we thought we were good practicing in Oklahoma. We didn't think. I mean, we just thought we were good because we practiced for a long time. And then you go out into the world and you see that an audience no matter how big, even if you're performing in front of 10 people, it makes a huge difference because you feed off this energy and, sure. this, uh, and you perform better. You really do. Yeah. It just becomes, it's a, it's a other, it's how you sort of reinvent your record, so to speak, because by the time you're done with a recording, you're sick of it. You don't want anything to do with it. And then you go out to play live in front of people and it starts to reinvent itself and you start to think of transitions and the, the sequence and how you're going to start the show and how you're going <laughs> to yeah. close it. And it becomes its own piece in a way. Yeah. So I'm just thinking like as a DJ and as a yoga teacher and as a performer, you know, I, I certainly feed off the energy of the room. And yeah. all, and although, you know, there's these stories of, oh yeah, I remember playing a gig when there were only five people in the crowd Sometimes I do believe you can only be so good when there's five people in the crowd. True. Because there's only so much energy that can come from five people. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But eventually you figure out that night after night, if you're playing, you know, five, six shows a week, you start to adjust and refine and you start to say, okay, hey, maybe, you know, the crowd didn't really react 
very well off starting with speed tape mm. the other night. Let's yeah. go, you know, maybe we start with end of the year, you know, or we start with tamer animals or you start to learn and, and adjust accordingly. And it happens. It's different in every market. Yeah. What, what was it like traveling throughout America? And you, you're obviously from a small town. Um, as much as I love traveling, there is sort of this mystery and you don't, you don't know what's, I mean, I love being home basically is what I'm saying. Yeah. So did you have struggles or was it, you know, a well-contained unit where you guys were all really there for each other? And I know you have a, 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 at the time had a female in the band. Was it tricky for her being, you know, the one female with a bunch of guys? Well, I'm sure Uh, it was for her. I mean, I'm sure it was probably so challenging. I mean, (laughs) in fact, she's one of my best friends now. And I know that it was for her just because, you know, who wants to hang out with like five dudes and four or five dudes hanging out and sharing rooms. And, but, um, yeah, you learn a lot about each other. Yeah. You start to your family on the road and things, you know, you learn to communicate. I know earlier we were talking about how we spent as creatives, we spent a lot of time in our head and sometimes we don't use our words. You know, it's just, we just kind of assume sometimes that people feel a certain way or, Oh, they're fine with that or whatever. And, you know, I'm reminded every day that I have to, you know, be more vocal um, and communicate. So I think, I think with, with that, that being said with touring in, in the United States, it was an adjustment, but it was so much fun because yeah. I got to see the country and you get to meet people and make friends all over the place and you get to learn, you get to find yourself as a band. Yeah. Everybody's out there going like, Oh, I'm doing this. So it's like, we're all doing it together. We might as well be the best we can be. Yeah. So what the hell happens? There's a couple of things that obviously happen. You guys um, moved to Oregon. So we did. We didn't move. We did tamer animals in in Stillwater too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was recorded in a in a house in Stillwater in town. Which so there were two out. One we recorded in L.A. The, the first self titled. Yeah, right. and then we were kind of like studio like yeah we don't need a studio let's just go to the country house let's get back to where we were so it wasn't recorded in oregon tamer wasn't rituals was okay it's so i'm getting there okay so tame you guys went back to oklahoma to record the second record so i didn't realize the second record was made at just like a home studio and you still have was and then we 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 worked with joey warnker who who was a, a great drummer on that album and, and a producer, co-producer. And so we did come out here and do some drum work and, okay. and mixing and things like that. But the, the girth of the record was done um, in the house in Stillwater. So what's it like um, growing know. up in Oklahoma? And, and ultimately you ended up moving to L.A., which I'm sure is a huge fucking shift from Oklahoma. But what... What what's it like growing up in Oklahoma? Yeah, uh, I was raised in a small oil town um, of about eight seventy five hundred people, I think eight thousand people today. But at that time, it was like five or six thousand. Um, 
graduated, I think, with 140 people. Yeah. Um, just very, you know, Stillwater was the big city. That's where Oklahoma State University was. So I would travel there to go shopping or whatever I needed to do or go to the guitar shop there. Um, it was simple living. Yeah. You know, I miss mowing the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> it was simple. I grew up on 10 acres and um, I was really into sports. Okay. I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 15 or 16. So you were a little late to the game. I was, but yeah. but I I knew that but I could write songs. I knew what song structure was. Well, how did you know that? I don't I think just listening to music. Yeah. I could just I started to piece things together and Yeah. For me, I uh I got a guitar and I started writing lyrics and and um and that was a big a big moment for me because I wanted to focus on that it was something else besides everything i'd ever known but everybody told me don't do music yeah so what you were just like playing sports in high school and stuff yeah i was like a baseball and football player and but how did the guitar wait explain that how did the the guitar and come into your life uh my mother bought me a guitar okay yeah she bought me uh a gibson and that's a nice gift yeah for a first guitar (laughs) yes i was like what yeah I didn't know at the time. Of course. But did she did she like see you or did you say you wanted to start playing or what was going on? Um, I think on? she dated a few musicians and she lived in Texas. My parents were divorced. Um, okay. so she lived in Texas and I think she yeah, she, I don't think. I know there there was a drummer that she was dating at the time and um and I just sort of became interested in music and hmm. then she bought me a guitar. Wow. Did she, I mean, was your dad, was your mom, were they musical at all or? Um, I think she, she's very musical. Okay. My dad's into music. He didn't play music. Okay. She didn't. God, that's just crazy that, 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 that act of getting you a guitar changed your life. I've never really looked at it that way, but yeah. Wow. And, and yeah. And so, yeah, and I had a friend named Ryan who I I would play. You know, we would like go over the White Album and and just listen to Bowie, and we learned like you know U two Octung Baby songs, and <laughs> you know we would record ourselves, and so that I think I really fell into it like that. Okay, and then I became less interested in sports, but I still played because that's what was expected of me. Yeah, so I powered through. <laughs> and you, you went to college. Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to three different schools. Um, I didn't really want to go, but it, again, it was it was one of those things where I felt like I should do it and I was supposed to do it. Yeah. But it never really felt that right for me. I went to Northeastern State University, which is like a big party school. Of and course. I was like, you know. Um, and then I uh, ended up and then I went to a community college for a little while, and then I ended up at Oklahoma State, and um, I had yeah, like three years under my belt. Okay, you know, but and then that probably was around this time where you met the band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then they came into my life, and then that that was I was kind of like, oh, there's something to do. 
What, um, God, it's just, just thinking about your mom giving you that guitar and basically changing the path. And that's funny. It's just, I think those acts though, my, my parents had a piano in the house. So I started playing piano when I was three and then my neighbor down the street had a drum set. So I went yeah. over there and just started banging away. Yeah. And it's just like those little things really can change yeah. your life. Yeah. And you know, I mean, my pops took me to, to concerts too. And I remember being like, whoa, that would be awesome. <laughs> You know, even before I got the guitar, like being on, like being on stage. Yeah, yeah, I remember thinking like, how incredible would this be to do this for a living? <laughs> yes, I remember thinking that to myself and thinking, thinking wow. Yeah, but um, it was like Van Halen or something. Yes. You know what I mean? Like sure, Hagar or something. I I preferred the Hagar to Roth just because I thought the songs were better. But yeah, um, I don't know. they were better songs. I felt like I was always really into songwriting, um, and so I um, just felt like David Lee. It was the showmanship was there, mm-hmm. but I never felt the songs were really all that. I mean, look, let's face it, Jump was obviously a huge hit. But I'm thinking back before that, like Van Halen one, two. I don't know. There was just something about Hagar where I just felt like this. And I, I loved Sammy's voice. Mm-hmm. He also was a great musician. He wasn't just a performer. Yeah. Um, and I remember Alice in Chains actually opening for Van Halen um, on a sh- at a show I saw out here in L.A. Oh, really? So I didn't even know who the fuck they were. Yeah. So like that's it's just those. That's why it's so important about, you know, experiences and. And I never would have known about Alice in Chains if I hadn't gone to that show. And I'm hearing this guy Lane like singing these fucking songs. I'm like, who the fuck are these guys? Yeah, that that whole wave was really special. I remember that going down. I mean, we're kind of about the same age. So, I mean, did that for me? It just Kurt and Alice and I mean that changed. Is your album came? You know, I was older, um, but. Lane and Soundgarden and Allison, I mean, all that shit, like, blew, that changed my life. Well, it was just so punk, in a way. You know, they but call it, it grunge, ex- but it still had that, like... Yeah. And those dudes were so young. Oh, yeah. Doing that music and oh, writing yeah. those songs, and they were writing all that music. You know, nowadays, you don't know who's writing. No, you don't. You got 20 songwriters on a hit. Or, yeah. 25 songwriters you'll look in the credits and it's like yeah but did that music- jj thomas <laughs> like, who the hell's that <laughs> yeah yeah did that but did that music like what blew your mind blew your mind I mean, it was where you then sort of because i don't really hear that in your music but mm-hmm. but still it, it could kurt cobain could still you know influence the hell out of you but what was it the seattle scene that you were responding to or what was going on musically where man it all started with like really getting into the beatles, the beatles. and uh and i mean for a lot of people i think but and then going down the rabbit hole there neil young yeah um bowie th- that and then i would sort of listen to modern music as it was coming on because I wanted to, you know, I always felt like I needed to know what was up and what was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember Siamese Dream. Oh, the Smashing Pumpkins record. Yeah. That was a really uh, a great record. Um, I remember that hitting me pretty hard. Well, I don't want to forget where we left off okay. during the second album, but you you brought up the Beatles. Yeah. 
I want to read a quote because obviously I read a little bit about you, and then I want to play the song Sparrows from the New Mystics record. Oh, cool. So for those of you that don't know, Josh, a few years ago, put out his own album with, I guess, with your own band. Did you, but or did you play all the instrumentation on it? I pretty much did everything on that except the drums. Jesse played on a few songs. Okay. We co-wrote modern the song "Modern" together on off that record. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to read something, and then I'm going to play. First, the reason why I'm even bringing this up is you say the Beatles and. I mean, fucking hey! I, I listened to basically every song on the record today, and it it sounds like Crosby, Stills, and Nash meets the Beatles. I mean, it's yeah. just like so. Anyway, you, you know, a few years you're in this successful band, and then you decide to make uh, an album on the side, just where it's just you, and the and the band's called New Mystics. I've cre- you probably know where I'm going with this. I've made a lot of music in my life. I've created and toured with some of the greatest bands in the world, but I'm losing my fucking mind. And I want to live another life. And so this is sort of the quote that kind of probably came out around the release of New Mystics. But what yeah. what did you mean? And what, 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 are you, what were you talking about? Or did you regret saying that? Or No, I don't really regret saying it. It was just more like, um, I think we all learn how to be creative and we're all inspired by the world around us. Yeah. And we all see things coming at us. But I mean, sometimes it's like, in in the create when you're when you're being creative and you're you're it is you do feel crazy yeah you know what i mean like you feel like you're losing your mind and that quote in particular um for me was that this vision that i had of this album that's what this record was about it was sort of about everything that in my life it was an outlet for me sure like outside of outside of other lives outside of anything i'd ever done musically i had been left you know with my own devices to to go like okay i'm i'm gonna create something here you know yeah. how it is you make records yeah and um i think i think the biggest thing for me um was that i wanted to find another creative plane you know and i i wanted to get i wanted to get there and and being there alone and doing something like that truly by yourself away from everybody you've ever done music with or anything not knowing what's up or down or what's good or or what's bad and losing complete perspective on everything yeah drives a man insane yes and that record sort of blew the door open on collaboration for me. Like I love to collaborate more than I ever have now because I did that alone. Yeah. And it drove me to a point of like, whoa, you know? Yeah. Because you you start to you start to think about your life and you start you're like, okay, I'm gonna do a record. Yeah. What am I going to tap into? Right. I can write a bunch of happy tunes and that people want to listen to on a beach, or yeah. or I can write about real stuff. Yeah, it's happened in my life. Or um, well, the thing I'm thinking about also, though, as much as incredible it was, was to be in a successful band and touring, people coming to your show, you're around each other all the time. But you probably sort of like, as you say, lose your mind, lose yourself, and you just like. And you're sleeping in different places every night. 
you'd probably just want to like reconnect with who you actually are. Exactly. There's that. And then there's also just a desire for normalcy and yeah. balance. And like you can't, the only thing that gives me balance is creativity. Yeah. If I don't, if, if I can't record or I can't write music or do something creative then I'm just not right with myself, I need it. You know, it's like I, I, um, I'm always going to be making some kind of record, yeah. whether it's a country record or a jazz record or whatever inspires me, there's going to be something going on. And if it takes four years to do another lives record, then I'm going to release something in between on my own if I have to. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a dark, it can be a dark place on your own. Um, and, but that's, I honestly feel like that's what it has made this other lives record. The the newest one that, that we just finished. It's just, I'm more involved than ever on it. And, and I feel like I'm less timid and, and just more willing to throw it all out there. Yeah. You know? Well, the other thing, and then I want to play the song, it probably built up a lot of confidence too. It's confidence in, in knowing that you're doing what you're hmm. doing the best you can do. Yeah. Or trying. Right. And even if it's not the greatest album or whatever it is, at least you're doing it. Definitely. Totally. You know what I mean? I don't I don't need like I don't need critical appraise or I don't need you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna play a tr- this song, Sparrows, which yeah. I listened to it yesterday and and today on the way home, and I was like I thought I was listening to a Beatles record and I thought about oh. the White Album and obviously I thought about Blackbird and So this one, it's from the new Mystics record. It's called Sparrows. Sparrow ran outside my window Tagline conversation Straight as far as I can see Far beyond the cold front Travel at great speed with heart rest Straight into the sun Maybe we should go where the sparrows come I can hear them say What a lovely day to say goodbye
what's what's the song about yeah so i you know when you're writing i don't know for me things just come so i i just i put it down and then figure out a way to throw words together and and <laughs> usually usually uh music comes first yeah me too yeah yeah. So it's like, like you'll mumble or sing. yeah, I do a total gibberish track, yeah. and then Jeff Tweedy does the same thing. I oh, was, really? Yeah, I was, you should check out his his memoir. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. yeah so do gibberish tracks. Yeah. Sometimes you want to keep the gibberish lines. Yeah. Because they're because they like actually sound better. Certain syllables or yes. you know you. Um. Yeah. My grandfather. My great grandfather. I knew all my grandparents and three of my great grandparents. My great grandfather Daniel would, um, they were married for, I don't know, my Violet and Daniel were married for 60 years, I think. And he would sit in Cushing, Oklahoma, he would sit in his shed <laughs> with the door cracked and he would sneak cigarettes and smoke cigs out there and he had uh-huh. a harmonica and he would, he had a pellet gun. And so in Oklahoma, we have sparrows. Um, and martins well the martin birds are like good guys and the sparrows are like the greaser gangster dudes you know? <laughs> okay so the martins eat mosquitoes so my grandfather had martin houses all around his lawn okay the sparrows would come in and try to kick them out of their they would drive them out of their homes and take over and he'd have to knock it down and clean them out and right. then put them back up because they were for the martins so he was so pissed off he would sit back there in his shed with a cigarette and a pellet gun and just cap any sparrow that came over his yard. Wow. And he would paint the birdhouses, you know, and they were really nice. And so as a kid, he passed away when I was, I think, eight. But before that, I remember going outside and there would just be dead sparrows all over the the (laughs) ground. And he wouldn't do anything with them. Like Oklahoma living. Yeah. And I remember feeling sorry for the sparrows. Sure. So like the lines, you know, maybe we should go where the sparrows go, you know? And um, it's like, wow. And then now I look back and I'm like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> Dead birds all over the place. Yeah. But these kinds of things come, come into your sort of, uh, I guess... Um, into my sort of songwriting techniques sometimes because, and I don't think that they're going to, they're going to come, but they do right. in a weird way subliminally. And then I can either choose to pay attention to them or not. Yeah. And so that song is kind of an, uh, ode to him. And you played all the instrumentation. I did. Yeah. Except the drums. You know, you mentioned that you picked up the bass to get into the band, but if anybody goes to an other live show, I mean, you're not just playing the bass, you're playing, the guitar you're playing like um not the glockenspiel but um what's it called the xylophone yeah i've got that you're and playing harmonium and yeah timpani and yeah everybody has a little uh, their own workstation <laughs> right but it's but we just can't have an i mean we always like the idea of having an ensemble but right we could never afford yeah, to have an ensemble, hire so it's like what do you do you right just everybody use your hands yeah but are you were you playing to pre-recorded tracks eventually also um you know sometimes there will be like uh like if we have anything programmed it's usually just thickness like if there need to be more strings or something oh like add an extra string on top of the one that's already there yeah but jonathan would play the string 
and then maybe have it into a delay pedal, a big memory man or something like that. Okay. And, um, we had two violinists on the last, on the last tour, but yeah. Um, yeah, we're always looking for that. Yeah. Big Disney show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, uh, you know, bringing it back to other lives in the band. I mean, I did feel, and even listening to don't let them and, um, it just it does have this symphonic symphony orchestra vibe where it should be in the background of like a western or or a huge um just it just feels like it should be in the background of a movie yeah you know morcone um the italian composer has so many beautiful pieces and some of my very favorites. And I think we coming from Oklahoma and, and the landscape of Oklahoma and the Dust Bowl and the, you know, everything that happened, we definitely, in those early stages, we were, we were thinking about, you know, thinking about that yeah, and trying to sort of write to our landscape, so to speak. This is sprawling idea. Yeah of the wind sweeping through and definitely all of that. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly feel it when I listen. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to not go, you know, Ennio Morcone on a lot of songs. Now you have to kind of go like, okay, more people know about him. We cannot, <laughs> but back in the day, it's like, you know, not a lot of people know who he is. Yeah. So go back home to make the second album. Um, tamer animals. Yeah. And what happened? I mean, there's, I mean, there's, I'm just trying to think there's so many things you could tell and share, but what happened where that record then got you guys opening for, uh, Bon Iver and I mean, eventually you even did some shows with Radiohead. Yeah. I remember the phone call. Wow. And we were touring in England or, uh, and I remember the phone call when that happened and we were like, whoa, you know, well, we had a, actually we played in front of them. In front of who? Tom. Okay. We were doing a show in, um, Oxford. And it was just other lives just on other lives on tour, you know, nobody's coming. (laughs) Except Tom. And then walk like, you know, three of the members and their murals on the wall. It's kind of where they started. But you knew they were going to be there? Yeah. And so Phil or somebody told you guys like, hey, they're they're here because they may want you guys to open for them? No, he didn't even say that. He just said, I think they're coming out to the show. Wow, and they probably they just they were off. They they were maybe or maybe they were recording another record. Yeah, or something I don't like know. That. We never have had any. Con- All I know is that they showed up, <laughs> and we were like, "Holy shit!" And while you're performing, did you actually see them out there? Yeah. Oh my god, that's that's basically like nobody was there. <laughs> there were probably fifteen people in the room, and of the fifteen, or three members of Radiohead. Yeah. Wow. That, like, tell me about the venue. Was it was it like a bar? Or it's what, where they started. It's where they started. Wow. Yeah, it was like a bar. I forget what it's called, but yeah. It and was, people obviously there really didn't know about you. 
No, nobody yeah. knew anything about so us. So why we were, were you like, guys? Why were you guys touring? And, and we had done. I think we did the Bon Iver tour, and okay. we were coming off of that. And then we we had a, a we re, had released a record in the UK and France and Germany, so okay. we were having to support it. Sure. And then we ended up going to do some work in their studios um, on an EP that we did, Mind the Gap. Okay, yeah. And there and outside of Oxford after we toured. But but yeah, it ended up being like this. It was such a just, it was like a drink. It was like a cloud. Uh, you're in it and then you're like, oh, that was over. Yeah. You know. So wait, like, did you talk to them after the show or no? Yeah. Oh, they. So you guys actually even talked to them, and yeah, and they were like, "Hey, that's really fucking cool." Would you? Would you uh, have... Yeah, they're just like, "Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll be in touch." That's amazing. And then I think we had finished Primavera in Spain or some, or I don't remember where we were. Maybe we were driving from France to somewhere. We were outside of France or outside of Paris, and we got the call. And I yeah. remember them saying, "Hey, the Radiohead would like you to support," and um. We were like, whoa. You guys did the Hollywood Bowl, right? No. We did Santa Barbara Bowl. God, that must have been surreal opening for radio. I mean, and you know, again, like any any stories that how many shows did you do with them or I think we did thirteen shows or and this something. was this was US stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No oh, man, I mean they're just really, you know, gentlemen and and very uh very nice people, the whole camp. They were so accommodating and, and you know, they had a big, um, you know, you probably heard about Scott, their drum tech uh, dying from the stage collapse. Oh, and, yeah. That was yeah, not so, too long ago, right? Yeah. So we were on a tour and, and, and Scott was one of the... Um, one of the techs there and and so i he would always hand me a he was a drum tech and he would always hand me a fresh pair of sticks when i went on yeah you know that was gut-wrenching when that happened and you know the court has refused to acknowledge that you know any of it happened i guess it's i don't know who what who the promoter is yeah they've been going through hell with that to try to get his family you know wow the thing, the, the the thing though that reminds me where I compare you guys, you know, people that aren't musicians and artists and performers, you know, I think a lot of times people think, and you know, sure, like Van Halen had this quality to it because it's just four guys and it's like a guitar, bass, drum, but there is like a lot of time and thought and work that goes into planning a Radiohead show because there's so many instruments and sounds and things going on. There's probably pre-recorded tracks and, and Johnny and Colin are playing multiple instruments and the drummer, I think his name's Phil, or maybe that's the bass player. I forget. They're, they're, you Phil's know, a drummer. Phil's the drummer. And you know, he's playing to, to, on top of like loops going on, but there is a similar thing going on with other lives. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on and it's it's beyond creative it's it's like you guys are composers and and there's it's mathematical it's creative there's so much time and planning i'm sure that goes into a show yeah a lot but it but it's also um i think which is why sometimes i'm like how the hell did these people let us open for them because we have so much stuff yeah, you guys and do. And that's the thing. Like, you have only so much time. You have like thirty minutes to set up and sound check, and 
in a big show like that. So you, it's just like you, they push you through. But, but yeah, we, we, we've always been, um, you know, and I give credit to, to Jonathan, um, you know, in other lives who he's sort of the guy that, that programs and does he, the lights and everything. Yeah. He does that, uh, to make that production, cool i mean i I don't at least i think it's cool what he does what do you what do you think you learned from opening for radiohead um you know they're from an interesting era and they've been able to ride the line of art and commerce for so long yeah like from releasing they challenge the market they know how to do it and they they're um as far as shows go, I mean, you're in an arena. You're playing in front of 15,000, yeah. 20,000 people. In Mexico City, we played in front of 75,000. What was that like? Insane. Yeah. You just get there and you're like, <laughs> holy shit. But eventually it all becomes just you're doing the show and it doesn't matter how many you know if you're playing night after night it doesn't matter how many people are there you're just doing your thing sure and you're hoping that everyone you know because you have good nights and bad nights and it doesn't matter how many people are there or not right. if you're all gelling and it's a good show then everybody's high-fiving at the end of it yeah but hopefully I don't get lost on some song and then like I lose track of the count or something, you know what I mean? Like, or then you, you're, it's a bummer. You just played in front of 75,000 people and you're bummed out because you had a bad show, but then you just learn to get over yourself. Yeah. What's it's hard to, you know, to make this, most of them probably didn't even know. No, but it's the way it is in life in general. (laughs) Like you just got to get over yourself sometimes, Yeah, you know? Yeah, I, I honestly like you can make mistakes, but that's who we are. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, you know, it's not. Listen, they're far worse tragedies <laughs> for <laughs> sure. I got a lucky. though that you guys are still kind of a small band like i mean are you people who still don't know who i mean you... i think people who know who we are um will be uh, hopefully they're interested in what we do you yeah. know what i mean yeah i think now like we always we were talking about singles and consumer you know like how people consume music yeah it's a different ball game altogether things move (laughs) so fast so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this album i think i think it'll be i'm curious because i haven't you know i mean i put out a record but i haven't put out another lives record and or we haven't in four years yeah so it's a different playing field altogether yeah i'm excited about it i don't i the one thing i'm really excited about is playing live again yeah, for sure. 
And I don't see a lot of that going on. You know, I don't like go out to shows anymore and like see a full band up there. Uh, I mean, that I, often. I, we can talk about it a little bit. I talk about this on the podcast. I just think it's very complicated. I'd love to get your thoughts, but I just, I think the day and age, I mean, the last, the two, the last big music scene was the hip hop scene in LA and New York and the grunge scene. And I think it's because of social media. I think it's because of cell phones. I, I think it's our culture. I don't think people, you know, know how to like get dirty and like close the door, put their phones away and meet other people and like create a thing. I don't know. I don't know. You're, you're right. I just, I don't see bands coming around anymore. I mean, I think now we're in the day and age of like Beyonce, Drake. I mean, certainly nothing wrong with that. The Beyonce show that I saw on Netflix from Coachella last year, like fucking blew my mind. It was like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on television before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know if the U2s, the REMs, um, I don't know. I don't know if we are the culture is in a state where that can happen anymore. Yeah, I don't I don't know either, but I do know that people if something's honest and it's something that people are literally like wowed by mm -hmm. or like you take like Kanye's Sunday church thing, you know, the Sunday service and Right. Um people doing things like that that are more about you see it starting to kind of come again in a weird way like you know he's doing sunday service you know and there are no 808s <laughs> no nothing it's like people playing hand drums and a choir and and it's special and people hate him and they, or they like him or, or whatever but but um as far as i mean he he's staying true to to his vision and, yeah um I think, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to put my thumb on the pulse of anything musically anymore <laughs> other than other than I know what I like. Yeah. And I know what's impressive to me. Like, I, I've heard a couple of artists recently, like, I don't know, have you heard of Way's Blood? No. God, she has such a beautiful voice. And um, Way's Blood? Yeah. How do you spell Way's? W-E-Y-E-S. W-E-Y-E-S, okay. Classic, beautiful voice. Um yeah, that's that's something I heard on KCRW, and okay. I was like, "Whoa, this is really good." Yeah, but I just don't know anymore. Like you said, I think we're so consumed with the next thing or the app or, or yeah, you know, some game or yeah. whatever people are into. I guess uh, their workout program or their <laughs> their their app for their therapy now because they don't want to go look at anybody in the face or they yeah, they no. have everything's just in this. I I think I based on my experience as an artist, musician, yoga teacher, DJ, and you know I when I'm out in the world, I talk. Yeah. I'm a talker. Yeah, and I've been lucky to meet a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think I know a lot of cool people. Mm -hmm. And I felt as though, huh, I should talk to these people because I think we all have stories. I think it could inspire people because I think people don't, they're like turning to their phone for inspiration. 
They're yeah. turning to their phone in, in their free time mm-hmm. instead of you know getting on the phone to call somebody or hey you know let's go check out this band and then you talk to the guy after after the show and then you meet up and start playing guitar together just like how you and your band met i mean yeah there's something raw and and just um pure as you said that word earlier and i i don't know where people go for that anymore well my theory is is that you have responsibilities and as you get older you have more responsibilities but there's this window Hmm. i think of youthfulness or when you're young and uh not to say that you know age matters or anything but i know for me it was a time when i was searching and i wasn't so concerned about paying my you know mortgage or my you know all of that stuff i wasn't i'm not concerned about the next app or or but i do know that because i had that moment as with the band early on that i'm always wanting to stay true to that moment yeah whatever that is so i'm always like look i got i got all i have all these other things going on but this is where all of this started yeah so i have to i have to somehow keep siphoning out of that pool because that's my normalcy in a way and it doesn't matter the purest state of music for me is when nobody's heard it oh yeah and it's all yours and you're listening back for the first time and you're choosing reverbs or you're choosing compression or what you're going to use to mix it or how do i what are we going to do are we going to distort this part or so it's the painting and it's the shape that you sort of end up deciding on and and that process to me is is what it's all about. I can't walk away from that ever. I'll be doing that until the day I die. I, I can't help but think, and I'm just thinking back to like when I released records, and as you're saying, I remember playing like a song for the first time for somebody, you know, or when you release an album, it does feel like giving birth to this thing that you've been sort of nurturing and manicuring and taking care of for a year or three years as you're in this studio cre- creating Mm-hmm. It's ironic that you're here today on the day that iTunes and Apple has decided. Apple today decided, not decided, they're officially taking the iTunes store off. Oh, wow. It's no longer going to be around. And so it's going to, iTunes is now just going to be streaming just like um, I Spotify. Yeah. You know, I talk about Instagram devaluing photos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody can take a pretty picture now. Um, Spotify and Napster and you know I I grew up in that that world it really devalued in my mind music and that process and now we we sort of go to everybody's talking about singles but there is sort of and people are doing it I think because they know that um, and, and record labels are doing it I think because they know that people's attention span is just like gone and if you don't put out a song every year or two, I'm sorry, every month or two, I think labels and artists are worried that they're just going to be forgotten and they're going to move on to the next thing. And Miley Cyrus just put out an EP of six songs and her plan is to put out another one in like six, I don't even know, but it's soon. And I'm sure her manager told her, hey, let's put you on The Voice or one of those shows so people don't forget about you while you're in the studio making records. And same thing with the guy, Adam Levine. I just... And clearly other lives and me, you know, we're not that type of thing. But 
I do think that all these things that are going on does sort of nullify and devalue that sort of process of making music and how much value it really brings into our lives. Yeah, I, I think I think the um, saturation is yeah the word people want to feel like you have to put out as much as you can as much content as you can it's just like oh god you know i have i I think with my album it was a totally different model than what other lives has been interesting and and i sort of thought well yeah why not i'll try it and i'll do this and and i'll try this you know like the new mystics record yeah okay and i um i don't regret trying it because i learned so much about it but it was very much based on you know content how are we going to do these videos this that you know what was um, one thing that you did on the new mystics record that that was different for you I wish I would have taken more time. Okay. I wish I wouldn't have felt like I needed to get something out as soon as possible. I wish that, um, you know, I, I guess I guess that's it. It's like you kind of have these people standing over you going like, well, this is the way we should do this. Or this is the way we should be doing this. Yeah. And in a lot of ways... I feel like there's so much of that going on now based on algorithms, uh, you know, followers. People will go out and find an influencer that has 500,000 followers and make them into a musician. Oh, yeah. And produce a rap record. You know, it's like that. I'm not even going to say her name. Her videos went viral on Dr. Phil. Okay. This was, you know, five years ago. And now she's a rapper. She yeah. can't rap. Yeah. But she has the best producers, you know. Of course. She has the, she has all the followers, you know. It's like, it's a weird scene, man. It is a weird scene. And I just think, you know, you guys are representing the opposite of that. And I think it's just an important story to hear because I think... The world we live in now, it makes artists feel as though needing to spend all their time and energy worrying about their following and, and getting noticed, but all that time and energy that they're spending on Instagram or Facebook to try to get a brand thing, a brand going, or they're not working on the process of making music and figuring out how to make a record. Totally. I mean, yeah, you said it. I think that there needs to be more focus on process and just being, I don't know. I think people are just searching so hard or they want something so bad. Attention. Attention, yeah. We're, we're you know, that kind of narcissism, I guess. I don't know. I want to transition and end the show, I guess. It's so funny you talk about narcissism, and the first thing that I thought of was Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, I mean, I don't know what you can share, but now Other Lives is three people. Yeah. I want to talk about that, and then how did you end up in L.A.? But it, did, did they just have enough because it, it was exhausting? 
touring or well uh, i think you know yeah i think i think everybody just amicably was kind of like you know what i've, I've got to figure out something for my life yeah like i can't just continue doing this and and because look it is when you when you're when you have a vision and of of it's not the easiest way to live no it's the uncertainty you have to embrace uncertainty in a different way so it's yeah. it's um you don't really know what's next. So, but to me, that's so interesting. I don't need to know what's next. So, um, hmm. I think that, but you, you do know that if you just do your best and you focus on, I know it sounds so funny. It's like, but it's the truth. Like if you just bo- focus on basic, the basic fundamentals of daily work and also exploring things that you've never explored before, you learn to trust in yourself if you can if you can be productive in that process i feel like i, I don't I, I don't feel like a lot of people question whether that's even an option yeah i think they just kind of do what they're supposed to do and i'm not saying that that's listen i worked in i worked for an engineering firm you know, for a while and I did it. It wasn't my thing. I would sit behind a desk and, and it wasn't my thing. Yeah. Um, but I feel I would, like part of the reason you moved to LA was I feel like you, th- because you're, I mean, you're a member of the other lives, but because you play all these instruments, because you're a producer, did you, I mean, tell me why, but I, I feel as though it maybe made sense as a professional, like, huh, wow, the band isn't touring, and yeah. maybe there's some opportunity here where I might get hired or I can be involved in some other projects. Yeah, totally, yeah. Okay. I did that, and I met my wife. Okay. So it, she's from Pasadena. Okay. So that was a big part of whenever uh, whenever I lived in Portland, because Portland was like the segue, so it was Oklahoma, Portland, then L.A., she came up for a month and was like, look, I have seasonal depression. Peace. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're either coming with me or not. And for me, it was the best move I ever made. Coming to L.A. Yeah, because, wow. and it wasn't even, it's not even that it's Los Angeles. I mean, I love Los Angeles. I love the, uh, you know, I, I do. And I've finished a record here. I've worked on a lot of different projects and, and it, Having that hustle under you really is a thing, you know, yeah. um, waking up every day and being productive. Um, I wouldn't have been forced to do that in Oklahoma or Portland. Um, right. But yeah, I feel like coming down here has given me um, great perspective on the other lives material because I can, you know, I think because it's me and Jesse and Jonathan now, they're there and i have kind of fresh or fresh perspective on you know if i get a new mix or if i get Hmm. this or that or i can say hey we have seven versions of this song i truly feel like uh seven eight you know is the best version so maybe we should work off this session instead of doing the latest session because it doesn't have the spirit yeah it doesn't have the feel um, or maybe these drums need to go here. And, you know, th- those, I think I have clarity on those things now because yeah. I'm not necessarily removed. I'm really close to it, but I think I have great perspective 
on those things. What's your guys' creative process? I mean, do you, do you know, do you guys meet up or is it sort of, a, do you write like a, a progression and send it yes. to Jesse or what, what's No, the... so the process for us is we all moved up there together to do rituals and, you know, Jesse will write a lot of ideas and some of them like are like oh shit that's done <laughs> you yeah. know like you do, you get ideas and then but is it the same thing where it's music first and lyrics later yeah okay. usually yeah some of the lyrics come but the idea was like this this latest record like he moved to sicily oh wow for a while and you know we focused on songs so I th- we all got together and we were like hey let's write an album that um there's no lie like the song can be what it is without any instrumentation it's just a guitar and a vocal okay let's let's do a record like that and then do the instrumentation around that because if we have the core of the song yeah it's the tune. Not to say it's it's not an acoustic record. I'm saying that's where we started. Yeah, but I think that's a great idea. Yeah, we started with uh, this thing called Batch Ten, which was like ten songs, and they were just him in Sicily tracking on a guitar, and um, they're beautiful. They're just mm. beautiful, like pastoral songs. But now we all got a hold of them, and then we sure. we do our thing to enhance you know and 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 write choruses and you know bridges and melodies and all that stuff so it's it's a beautiful um it's a beautiful canvas because he's he's super creative and he writes a lot and then you kind of get an idea and you sort of know if you get 40 ideas then you know which ones sort of rise to the top yeah and then you can say hey what about this chorus or what about if we did uh, this bridge or this instrumental outro on this? And then instead of talking about it, you just do it now. Yeah. Whereas used to, we used to talk about it. But now everybody's capable of tracking and sending, flying around ideas. And yeah. I've been going back and forth to um, to Portland. We got He moved into this beautiful A-frame out in Cooper Mountain. Okay. Below, just below wine country there. And it's just secluded and beautiful and and so you'd fly up there and record yeah, or add just go up there for like 10 days at a time sometimes yeah. a week and and we'd track and but yeah he works hard yeah really hard wow that's exciting so when when do you think the record's going to come out uh i think it's going to be you know probably fall what month we're in June? So soon. Well, I think I think more like January, to be honest, I feel like. But I don't know for, for, for certain. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if it doesn't come out by October, then it doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it's not. And I, I don't think it's going to be out by October. <laughs> and why rush it? It's, yeah, it's like, it might as well be at the top of the year. Did, did you track a lot of it live? We did, yeah. Wow. okay. We did, and, you know, we have uh, a small... Um, choir called the free oh, wow. free people's choir and it's gonna be cool i do want to play one more song I'll, I'll end the the podcast by playing one more track off of rituals that i absolutely love need a line oh cool yeah. i fucking love that song yeah man that song was so fun to make we yeah we that was a fun one yeah 
Well, we're going to end the podcast with thank you needle. Yeah, man. I, I so before I let you or before I play the song uh, for the listeners again, Josh Onstott, I, you're so cool for talking to me. I think it's really important to, you know, I, I was always, it's weird. I'm not an actor, but the actor's studio, mm-hmm. do you remember that show with James yeah. Lipman? Yeah. I always loved that show. Oh, I love it too. Because I don't know if it's on anymore because yeah. I like use PS View and I don't like get all these channels anymore. Yeah. Um, but although I'm not an actor, the, the process is, you know, there's, it's similar. You know, you're, I loved hearing actors telling their stories about, you know, their process of making movies or the process of what they went through to get into character. Yeah. So I just feel like it's really important to hear what artists are thinking about social media and more importantly, what they go through with it and sort of their process. And it, it, everybody's different. There is no one way. You don't have to stare at fucking Instagram and think about your brand and think about your image. Get better at writing songs. Get better at guitar. You know, find people that you can like can collaborate with. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is really important. And I think it's not talked about. And yeah. I, I think it is, is like a hidden thing these days or maybe people aren't like you said the pr campaigns and all of that i think yeah it's funny it's like i said it's not that things are i'm not being like oh things are so controlled i'm not saying that but i'm saying in some ways like like just live your life yes be be how you want to be right totally Yeah. yeah well josh onstott you can find him on instagram the band Other Lives, you can obviously find them. They're going to have a record coming out either end of the year or January. New Mystics, do you think in the few years, you, would you want to do that again? I, I think, yeah, but I think I'm going to do another album, but I don't think I'm going to call it New Mystics. I okay. think it'll be another thing. Yeah. I like the idea of doing different yeah, sure. things, different Definitely. genres. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, Josh, thanks again for coming on the show and talking to me and having an awesome conversation, inspiring conversation. And you kick ass, keep doing your thing. I'm stoked that you're living in Los Angeles now. And yeah, well, in the show today um, with the song from Other Lives record called Rituals, which came, which came out in 2015, the track is called Need a Line. It was my favorite song on the record, so I thought I'd end the show by playing it. So thanks again, all of you, for listening as well. Thanks, Eddie.